All right. Well, Ezekiel, book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. <laughs> Some may already know the scripture. But, um, yes, the Bible is filled with wonderful um, um, analogies of our salvation that is in Christ. And so this particular text that we will consider will... Uh, we'll, will um, encompass that and again just allow us just to reflect upon the glorious salvation, such a great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, um, I think it was during the week or maybe the week before, but I remember reading an article or seeing a news uh, presentation of some sort by which um, they're launching an inquiry and um, into loneliness and depression, uh, because there's a growing epidemic in the world in which we live here in Australia, of all places, Australia, and um, in which now we have multitudes of, you know, philosophies regarding mental health and, and you know, all the so-called professionals that have saturated uh, our world, and yet, and especially our nation, and yet we're having an epidemic of loneliness and mental health issues. How could it be? And so that's another issue which we could consider, but the fact is, and the point that I want to make, is that the human soul suffers. Because of sin, because of the consequences of sin, because of the effects of sin, and just the nature of the world in which we live in that is separated from God through the fall, we see around us the vast array of human suffering. And so when we hear about the, when I hear about these things, they're no surprise to me. Uh, one, I even know my background, and two, no doubt many of us can reflect before we came to Christ. But nevertheless, we're living in a day in which many people, uh, the human soul is still suffering, and uh, its need is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be set free and healed. Amen? So, but in light of all of that, God cares. God sees. And so um, they, they, God is not indifferent to the suffering of our world and what's happening around us. And so God is very much concerned. And we know that because the whole emphasis of the gospel is to seek and save that which was lost, to leave the 99 and look for the one. So we know the heart of God who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so, um, so that's how the gospel works. And so God seeks to reveal himself. He seeks to move upon those in these desperate needs. And so in, the, in whom the world gives up hope sometimes, God can move in such a way and does such a miracle in the human heart. And so it's in light of that that we can all say amen. Because one of the other things that I want to focus on this morning as we consider the word of God, for spe especially for us as Christians who are sitting here today, one of the things that you learn over the longevity of the Christian life is never forget where you came from. We all sit here so dignified. I walked in this morning, Brother Sam said, Oh, Gary, you're looking sharp this morning. But I tell you, you wouldn't want to have seen me before I met Jesus. I wasn't sharp and I tell you, I looked like a bogan and with my long hair and all that was going on in my life at that point of time, you would have said, Oh, uh, later for that. 
But you see, the gospel is such. And so there are times, you know, here I am some 25 years down the road, married and four children, and I've been blessed by God abundantly. And yet I reflect sometimes from where I was, who I was before I came to Jesus Christ, and just what, it would, have, what would life have been like if I, if I wasn't saved, if God didn't come? I don't know. I'd hate to entertain those thoughts. But now I do reflect and I do remember from whence I came. And, um, and I thank God for His grace. And so uh, this message this morning carries that idea, as we will see and as we will reflect upon it, that God always, in light of everything that God has done for you and I, let us never forget where we came from and the glorious salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen. God took my broken life. He took me in my internal sufferings. He came to me at a most unexpected time when I wasn't looking for him. And I tell you, in a moment, he brought deliverance, salvation, and I thank God for his eternal grace. Amen. So, I want to preach a message that I've entitled this morning, God's Redeeming Love. God's Redeeming Love. And I just want us to bask in the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus and look at this Old Testament uh, um, uh, typology and symbolism, the imagery that we find here in this particular text. And we'll make its application to Israel, but we'll find also it has a greater application to us. So let's read verse number 1, Ezekiel chapter 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And so, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you, and uh, you were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field when you, uh, when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew, matured and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, and you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your, your blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in broidered in embroidered cloth, and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was with fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You, uh, you ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty. 
for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. What a wonderful, I mean, when you read Ezekiel, this portion of text really just stops you and just causes you to think about the depths of what God is communicating here and what he is saying. And he's expressing his deep, deep, deep love for the children of Israel. And here, in this case, he's directly addressing, in verse 2, Son of Man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. You know, we know the story here. Now, the, uh, these are the people of God, Ezekiel is speaking at a time of captivity, where Israel, having been redeemed by God, and having experienced his power and his love and his blessings, and yet here we are, find them having forsaken God and now in captivity. And so God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel and he's wanting to communicate God's love for the people, for the nation. And in the manner in which he speaks, he's in effect saying to them, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Never forget where you came from because that is so critical in the, the Christian life, especially over the longevity of time. Let us never lose sight because that's what God said to Israel when he brought them out. He says, uh, uh, he even prophesied that they would forget the Lord God and all, and all those things. And so we, we can't uh, fall into that trap this morning. And so Israel has apostatized. They've turned away from God and they're in captivity. And God is, is communicating his love. He's communicating to them. Uh, he wants them, first of all, to understand their sin, but more so how that sin has affected and corrupted their relationship to, to God because uh, this, cause here's a nation that was uh, uh, specially chosen by God and redeemed by God and set aside and said, God said, these are mine. This nation, these people are mine, which is a privileged position. As no other nation had that privilege and has that privileged position as Israel has. Obviously, when it comes to a nation, we understand now we're in the dispensation of the church, and so we, it has a greater spiritual application to us, and we'll consider some of these things in a moment. But it's true. When we read this, we, obviously we can think of Israel. But as you read this particular text, you can't help but see it's clear interpretation, it's clear application uh, to you and I as it relates to the salvation that we have and the privileges that we have in, in Christ Jesus and the blessings that we have, the redeeming love of God that came to you and I. And so we find that the whole experience of Israel parallels our individual salvation. And so when we look at that and when we consider it, we can make all the different connections and just, and just dwell on them. And again, remember, remember where we came from and remember God's love and deep love for you and I and what he has done for us. You see, it's a graphic picture, really, when you think about it, what we read. It's, what's that? Extremely graphic. It's, uh, it's got lots of imagery symbolism, and, uh, and it paints a picture that God is trying to reveal and he wants his people to understand. And so it's important for us to consider these things because what is pictured in here is not just the salvation of Israel, but as I said, our own individual salvation. 
You know, I was thinking as I, as I was pondering this portion of text that we have read, there is really one scripture in the New Testament that summarizes this whole, whole experience and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, where God says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, on the day of salvation I have helped you. It encompasses that, you know, here we were in our lives, lost in sin and depravity and darkness and all of those things, and yet uh, at an appointed time, in an acceptable time, God came to us. And in doing so, on the day of your salvation, the Bible says, I have helped you, I have intervened, I saved you. And so here's just that statement here uh, through Paul the Apostle here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. We find that really this whole story in Ezekiel here encompasses just that statement. But we get a far deeper picture of what it involved and what it represents. And so let's, in light of that, consider it a little bit further as we look at verse number 3. God says, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. You see, now think about that for a moment because let's put some context here. Here's Israel as a nation. They've existed now as God's people for, for many, many years. But God is now causing them to reflect upon where they came from because they were not always the people of God. And in actual fact, the Jews prided themselves on being such a privileged uh, uh, people and that they would look at the Gentiles and the pagan practices of the Gentiles and so we know that they would despise them as such. But you see, though Israel was in a privileged position, they, God's saying, don't forget where you came from. Your father, you came from the land of Canaan. Don't forget your nativity, where your roots are. You came from the land of Canaan. You came from the people of Canaan. Your father was a, an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. And we understand that Abraham and Sarah came from the land of Canaan, did they not? And uh, we understand also uh, that in Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter 10, verse 15 and 16, we don't have to go there, but it talks about the, the, the roots there that uh, you can trace it back. And you can see, we know that God called Abram uh, out uh, and then in doing so, the whole process began. But, you know, Abraham was amongst the people and his family and they were idol worshippers. And so God's saying to Israel, don't forget where you came from. Your nativity. And so we find that this is their history. And more than that, he's addressing Jerusalem. And if you understand the Old Testament, you'll realize that Jerusalem was not in the hands of, of Israel up until quite later, actually, until uh, David especially, when he took it and, uh, uh, from the Jebusites uh, and he established the, the, the city of David. And so it was then that it, they took full possession of that particular city, this Jerusalem, the city of God. And so, again, we see this transition, but again, we understand where it all started, what the background was, where they came from in your nativity, God says. And at this point, they were not yet a people redeemed, because it says in verse uh, 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 number four, 
It says, as for your nativity, on the day you were born, this is talking about their natural birth as such, uh, your navel cord was not cut. You know, can I just stop there, just so throw something in here. I, I came from a background um, where they taught inherited curses. And the main proponent of it preached from this particular text and used this and said, this is a bit of a left field thing, but use this as a basis to suggest that when they were born that their navel cord was not cut. And so therefore the, the inherited curses were still playing out in the Christian life. And so there's a need to break inherited curses. That's how this doctrine practices, is practiced. But you see, God's not talking about here their, their, their spiritual birth. He's talking about their natural birth. And so you can apply some of those things to natural birth. We can be born into a family and, you know, um, we can inherit various things that are going on. And, and so in that sense, inherited curses can exist. But when a person comes to Christ and when God says live and they are born again, they are new creations in Christ. Old things are passed away and you don't need to break inherited curses because they're already broken. Hallelujah. Okay? So that's just a little freebie. Let's continue. It's a little bee in my bonnet because if you knew my background. <laughs> now, getting back to this, he says, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you, and you were not rubbed with salt and nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so, again, if you think about this, if you understand the story of Abraham and Sarah, you will realize that God had called them out, but they had not yet entered into their inheritance that God had promised. And they were pilgrims, they were sojourners, they were, were passing through the land of Canaan and so forth. And so um, they knew not where they were going other than what God had promised them. And so uh, uh, you get an idea here also of uh, the, the context of what God is talking about. But you see, also we understand going forward from Abraham and Sarah as the, the, the nation developed from their seed, uh, being Isaac, uh, we also understand that they were in, then went into Egypt. And having gone into Egypt, and uh, they were there for some 400 years, you know the story, and you realize that here, as they multiplied uh, and grew as a people, they came to, became um, a threat to the Egyptians, so the Egyptians put them to slavery, and they were under intense suffering, intense persecution. And you know the story that surrounds Israel at this very point. They were a despised people even at that point. And so, so God is here laying a foundation and an understanding of his redemption because we know that ultimately God goes in, Moses comes forward and he brings deliverance, he brings them out of, uh, you know, through the Passover and the Passover lamb and the blood of the lentil, the angel of death and the whole issue of the deliverance of Israel that came out and then God took them into the land of Canaan and so forth. And there's the picture of redemption as it relates to the Christian, true? Egypt being of the world and Pharaoh being a sign of the devil and salvation coming out of the world and so forth and the blood of the Lamb, blood of Jesus, uh, and there we have it. So you can see all the parallels. And so, but here is the nation and the nativity cord is not cut and, uh, no, and it says uh, uh, they were despised by those around them and they were not, uh, uh, no one took care of them. And it says in verse 5, No I pitied you to do any of those things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. Loathed. 
The nation was loathed. They were, they were rejected by those around them. And I began to think about this because there is, the, the, the fact is uh, Israel is in a place where they are lost where there's a sense of loneliness. They are for, in a, a sense, at least a sense of forsakenness. And, uh, you know, having been loathed on the day that you were born. And, you know, we're living in a world where I said to you at the beginning, where there's people, where uh, they are, are suffering from the depths of loneliness and despair and depression. And uh, many people feel rejected. And many people are suffering... <coughs> And, uh, and they look at their lives and they say, well, what's the purpose of living? I was loathed from the day that I was born. They, people have suffered because of their family hardships uh, and divorce uh, and all that goes on in people's lives. And so by the time they reach uh, teenagers and into their adult years, uh, they're bearing the consequences of these things. And people loathe the day that they were born. They loathe uh, themselves and they are loathed by those around them because who cares? And that's how this is a reality of the life in which we live. And this was the reality for the children of Israel. God says in verse 6, When I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood. See, think about that. Struggling in their own blood. What a picture. I mean, it's graphic, isn't it? Struggling in your own blood. And so the idea being this word struggle Literally in the Hebrew, it means to, um, to, uh, to trample or to be polluted or to tread down, to trample down. And that's what happens to people in life. You know, because we're living in a world where it's all about numero uno and it's the survival of the fittest and the strongest. That's, what we're, that's the world we're living in. And so people, if they're, for whatever reasons, uh, they're being trampled upon. And people are sensing this, and their spirits are broken. There's, the, the people are suffering. The, that's why Jesus came to uh, heal the brokenhearted. The Bible says that the devil seeks to steal, kill, and to destroy. And we see that all around us. And, and the truth is, is that the world, as much as it promises and it proclaims love, it is selfish, self-centered, and it's, it's, it's all about me, I, and so when you come to a point where you're expedient, then sorry, see you later. That's what happens. And so the world chews people up and spits them out. And people are left on the side of the road. They're struggling in their own blood. People are dying because of the experiences of their lives. And God says to Israel, I saw you struggling in your own blood. God saw me struggling in my own blood. And he saw you struggling in your own blood. But you see, the world may pass us by, but God does not. Because he says, when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. Here we were dying internally, death is at work. And God comes and he says, live. You see, that is the gospel. That is salvation. Amen? Amen. 
Israel, he says, is redeemed. God comes to them in this instance and he, he draws them to himself. But see, this is exactly what he does for you and I. And in a place of spiritual death and destitution, and here we are trampled upon, God comes to us and he says, live. And the life of God so uh, uh, saturates and infuses our spirit, amen, and we pass from death into life. And we enter into life more abundantly. And that is what the gospel is. When we talk about being born again, we are talking about becoming partakers of the divine nature and we are talking about eternal life. And that's not life that is Somewhere in the future, it is life that we partakers of now. And that's why when we, uh, when we are saved, when we experience the salvation of God, truly there is a transformation that takes place in us. Glory to God. So, and not only that, the Bible tells us that uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus... Or the second Adam, or the last Adam, actually, is a life-giving spirit. And that's what we have received. Glory to God. Now, here we are. We're saved. We're alive in Christ. As the scriptures tell us, God has said to Israel, live. And he has said to you and I, to live. Now, let's consider what happens next. Look at verse 7. God says, I made you thrive like a plant in the field and you grew you matured and became very beautiful your breasts were formed and your hair grew and you were naked and bare so here's the, there's still there's a work of God that is is happening and in verse 8 when I passed by you again and I looked upon you indeed your time was the time of love so I spread my wing over you and covered uh, and, and, and covered your nakedness yes I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord. Now again, this is first foremost to Israel. When God brought them out of Egypt and there at Sinai and God entered into a covenant and he entered into a covenant in which now Israel became his and they became in a sense as a nation the bride uh, of Christ, oh, not Christ, the bride, the bride of God in that sense, and a nation now that was separated and sanctified unto God, having been redeemed out of Egypt. Now they were being blessed in abundance, and so there is a growth and there, there is a maturity that is coming to the nation. And now they are being betrothed to God, in this sense, as we find in the Scriptures, and that is how it relates to Israel. But also, how much more does it apply to us as Christians who sit here this morning because exactly the same thing, but, but more so, has happened to us because the Bible says now we are in Christ Jesus and what are we? We are the bride of Christ, part of the church of Jesus Christ, each of us. And so our nakedness is being covered. God has entered into a covenant and we are part of the new covenant and we have been grafted in wild olive branches. Here we are, Gentiles. And yet we now, amen, in Christ Jesus with the Jew, uh, we are one in Christ Jesus to the believing Jew, that is. And so what a privileged position that we have. 
We're not just saved from our sins, but we have been blessed in abundance. And that's what Ephesians talks about, the riches of his blessing, blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And again, you've heard me talk about these things, but this is what's being communicated here. And so we are in Christ Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. We have entered into a God. Well, God has entered into a covenant with us. And, uh, and here we have now the fact that we are his because we have become his. Hallelujah, as it says in verse 8. And we know that the outflow of that in verse 9, God says, Then I washed you in water. I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. You know, here we are standing in Christ. We are literally sanctified. We are cleansed from our sin. The stain of sin has been removed. Hallelujah. That we stand perfect and we stand in holiness and we stand sanctified in Christ Jesus. And this is based on the pure, the pure gospel of Christ and what God has done for us. And when we believe, this is our privileged position. And so... We have been cleansed, and God says, I anointed you with oil. And we know that oil being symbolic of the Holy Spirit, we have an anointing, amen? The Spirit of God is in us. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He lives in you. And so the Bible says also we have an anointing that teaches us, and so we have been anointed by God in the same sense, actually in a a deeper sense, as we find the scriptures teach us verse 10 i clothed you in embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin i clothed you with the linen and covered you with silk i adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck and i put a jewel in your nose and earrings in your ears and i don't know about the jewel on the nose but anyway must have been something then that was pretty and, uh, and a beautiful gown, or a crown, sorry, on your head. And then he says, And thus I, I, I adorned you with gold and silver, and your clothing was for fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry and fine flour, honey, and oil. You are exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. You see, God had elevated them to such a privileged position. And Israel, uh, we know, though they are away from God at present, we know that God has not finished with the nation of Israel and they will come into their fulfillment of the purposes of God because God has made a covenant with them and that will ultimately be fulfilled, as the Scripture tells us, in spite of where they are at as a nation at present. But you see, for us as Christians here this morning, in Christ Jesus, we have succeeded to royalty. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches us. Again, you can read the epistles and begin to see such imagery that's portrayed. We have succeeded to royalty. We are the children of God and we are blessed in abundance and we have inherited so much already and there's so much still to inherit. And we will succeed unto royalty as the scripture tells us. Now, we know in First Peter chapter two, verse nine. Now, in the, in the primary sense, it relates to Israel. But you see, when Peter is writing here, 
I also, uh, he is writing to those that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so there's a reference here that clearly relates to the church. And so he, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, speaking of the church, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy but have now obtained mercy. And again, this is the privileged position that we have. This is the church of Jesus Christ. We have received a glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to look at one last truth as we conclude this in verse 14. Uh, verse 14. Because in light of everything that's being said, it is, this is like the pinnacle, this is the cap, uh, uh, the glorious truth that concludes it. And we must recognize it. Because it says in verse 14, your fame, speaking of Israel, went out among the nations because of your beauty. Because God had bestowed upon the Israel this. For it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed on you. You see, God is saying to Israel, this is who you were. This is where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. This is what I, where I took you from. This is what I did for you. This is how I blessed you. And he said, you were great among the nations and you were perfected in beauty. Why? Because of my splendor that I bestowed on you. And when you think about it, amen, when you think about this and you talk and you relate this to the Christian, we stand here today, amen, we are clothed with the glory of God. When you look at our lives, there's nothing that's good, nothing me, there's nothing good in us that dwells. And we have, what, when, in salvation, in Christ Jesus, we are now reflecting the glory of God. We are being changed, the Bible says, from glory to glory. And so the glory of God now doesn't dwell in a, in a temple that's made with hands. It, the glory of God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit in us. God in you. The hope, or Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. And so the glory of God so is, is, is now fills our hearts and, uh, and our lives. And so anything that we observe is Christ in me. For me to live is Christ. And so we begin to see these glorious uh, attributes that have been bestowed upon us. And what we are observing, what we are seeing, is the glory of God in us. Nothing that we possessed. Like I said, if you saw... If you, I mean, actually, some people have seen a photo of me. There's one floating around somewhere. I hope it's not in that computer. No, don't bring it up if it is. <laughs> but... The glory now of God that is bestowed upon us is something to be observed. And so, this is the splendor that we have. This is the glory that we have. It's not of ourselves. It doesn't emanate from us. It doesn't originate with us. And that's why the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness, that is Christ, of the, of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. 
See, that word perfect in the text in Ezekiel 16, it means complete. And we are complete in Christ. And so when we are born of God, having been made alive unto God in Christ Jesus, amen, the glory of God is now in us. Uh, we are complete in Christ. That's why I hate, uh, that's why I really despise the whole issue of, of uh, um, uh, Christian psychology and things of that sort because, because it undermines a person's position in Christ. You, it, you have to grow by faith into what you already are. You don't need to go back and have all these experiences. Oh, when I was, uh, when I was this, this happened to me and that happened to me and so let's pray Jesus heals this and who's that. No. This, this, whole, this just plays into the whole inherited curse stuff. No, you must know who you are in Christ. You are complete in him. And so uh, if you are in Christ, you have he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't have to keep coming and laying hands on you and breaking this curse and that curse and this and that and praying. No, you must by faith appropriate what is already yours. And when people enter into that, they experience the liberty, the freedom uh, and the joy of God in their lives. So Israel's redemption is a mirror of ours. And I just want to illustrate this, if I can, a little further. In Ephesians chapter 4, just put some practical aspects to this. Verse 1, and if you actually go back actually to chapter 3, verse 21, it says, now this is talking about the mystery of the church and how God had it uh, uh, revealed and, and so forth. It's the mystery, it's the purpose of God from the creation, the church of Jesus Christ. And what does it say in verse 21? To him, that is, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. It's his splendor. It's his glory. And as we, not just individually, but corporately, as we sit here, it is to the, it is to the glory of God. And then it says in verse 1, chapter 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord Jesus beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you were called. You see, Israel was not walking worthy. They were walking in disobedience, in rebellion to God. And it was, they were not reflecting what they were meant to be. And we know that they failed. And really the sad truth is, is that this is, has, has an has a application to the church and to the Christian if we're honest. We see it throughout church history as well. We see it in our own individual lives. And why I make this is that we must make it our aim to walk worthy before the Lord. Not to live and conduct ourselves in a manner that is, does not give glory to God. That does not reflect His glory by, uh, by the way in which we live and conduct ourselves. And so the issue is very, very important. Because we must walk worthy of the calling for which we were called. And so I want to just read one last thing to you, if we can, and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. No doubt you're familiar with the scripture. But think of this in light of what we've just looked at in Ezekiel. And it says in verse 26, Paul writes, and he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, 
uh, not many noble accord. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. I know we like to think more highly of ourselves, but let's be honest. Okay? We are the foolish of the world. <laughs> it's uh, blockheads is the, is the word, in, is, uh, as I remember studying it and I preached it many years ago, blockheads. Yep, that's us. What was your phrase, Sam? Num nuts. <laughs> yep, there's probably a few things we could use. But that's what we are. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. No, 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 but uh, of him, now listen, but of him you are in Christ, Jesus, who because for us became, or became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Jesus is everything, he's done it all, and we have inherited that just by virtue of being in Christ. And then it says in verse 31 that it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And we just thank God that we are saved. Never forget where you came from. Never forget the day in which Christ came, became real to you and in which he came to you and you're struggling in your blood and he said, live. Because, you know, when we reflect upon where we came from, it holds us fast for the present. Because the fact is, is if we're not careful, we can drift. We can become complacent. Are you following me? And when you f reflect upon where you came from, what God has done for you, it just kind of sharpens you up and makes sure that you can, you're, that you're aiming to w walk worthy before the Lord and walk worthy of his calling because we are reflecting the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the glorious salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. I thank you, my God, that you came to us, Lord, and, uh, and as we were uh, trodden down, as we, God, were, uh, were the foolish of this world, the base, God, we were without hope. But you saw us, Lord. And as you do, God, you delight in taking those weak and beggarly and despised things of the world, Lord. And God, you raise up a, a glorious testimony to your name and to your power. And we are reflective of that. What a privileged position we have. What an inheritance we've received. My God, and I pray that we would be mindful of this and we would make it our aim to reflect in a, in a, in a not a positive, but in a, uh, in, a, in a glorious way, in a right way, the glory of God. So I pray your blessing upon your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.